Hello and welcome to the Court of Alex podcast. I'm Joe and today I am joined by Muse. Hello. V. Hi. And returning to the show, our good friend Jedi Josh. Hello! And if you are joining us for the first time, we are a comic podcast that uploads weekly, talking about all things surrounding comic books and superheroes. So, before we officially jump back into current comics, we just have one more topic that we want to discuss, which was a couple of the good old ones, you know, like Superman eating bullets with his bowl of rice, and... Batman and his multicolored outfits. So, Josh joined us this week to tell us a couple of those old Golden Age tales. But before we get into it, Josh, remind our viewers where you come from. Well, I come from a YouTube channel called Nerd Chat Comics and Culture, where basically I try to, at least once a week, break down a comic book. Not something that's up to date, but something not exactly as far back as we're going today. Not that I don't always <laughs> still do that, because I did also do a video on uh, Robin's first appearance not too long ago. But I typically talk about comics that aren't actively talked about anymore. So, uh, But I just break down like one issue a week, and then I also do a bunch of stuff on Twitch at uh, JediJosh underscore NC, that stands for Nerd Chat, where I stream video game stuff, and then I also make highlight videos of what I've done throughout the week on those streams. So those are all things you can check me out on, and you can also follow me on Twitter. Very awesome. And you said that we have two or three stories that you brought over today? Well, I brought two. I wrote half of a third one, and apparently my uh, computer was not online when I was writing them at work, so it didn't update to my Google document. (laughs) That's okay. But I promise you the two I brought are very, very good. <laughs> nice. Josh, whenever you're ready, just let us dive right in. So the first one that I brought is Detective Comics number 27, which is the first quote-unquote appearance of Batman. He technically showed up in Action Comics number one before this, just to basically preview uh, this comic. But this is Detective Comics number 37 by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. So this is uh, the Batman with a hyphen. So like Spider-Man, like Bat mm. hyphen man. And they do this for like five issues until we get Batman's like actual origin story. And then that's when they actually start calling him Batman. So the Batman, a mysterious and adventurous figure fighting for righteousness and apprehending the wrongdoer in his lone battle against evil forces of society. His identity remains unknown. <laughs> this comic starts with Commissioner Gordon. Now, I want you to picture Commissioner Gordon in your head, and I want you to throw that out. That's not what this looks like. (laughs) (laughs) He is your generic old white guy with round glasses and a bowl of hat, and that's who your Jim Gordon is currently. (laughs) (laughs) He is entertaining a young Bruce Wayne uh, who smokes a pipe. Uh, So Mm. Batman smokes. um, And Bruce is wearing the brightest yellow suit that I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, Curious George, like, yellow. <laughs> so, yes, yes, it's yes. exactly it. Yeah, that's, imagine that, and that's what Bruce Wayne wears on the daily. So, Bruce and Jim Gordon apparently just, like, hang out. Like, old Jim Gordon hangs out with young Bruce Wayne. They're the best of friends. And as far as I know, neither of them have any other friends. <laughs> uh, so, Bruce asks if there's anything exciting going on as Gordon gets a call about Lambert, uh, the chemical king. He's been murdered. I wrote, he's being murdered. No, he's been murdered. (laughs) This isn't actively happening. He was murdered (laughs) in his own home, and apparently his son is to blame. The son's prints are on the knife, and they have his son restrained, so like any reasonable police commissioner would, 
Gordon asks Bruce if he wants to come along because Bruce is bored and has nothing else to do. This is a Marty McFly situation all over again. Like, hey, Bruce, I know you're bored and young. There's been a murder. You want to come check it out? And he's like, well, I guess I got nothing else going on. Sure, I guess I will. Let me just put out my pipe. Yeah. No, he doesn't put out the pipe. He keeps smoking this for a while. The, the pipe is still being smoked during the crime scene investigation. Well, of course. Well, everybody knows that makes you more like Sherlock Holmes. Yes. yes. That's true. I mean, to be fair, Gordon's smoking too. Almost everyone's smoking a pipe. So they get there and they like go over like the crime scene. And uh, so they decide to talk to, to young Lambert. And something that's important, their first names are never said. I don't know the first name of the old guy. I don't know the first name of the son. So it's either going to be dead Lambert or uh, young Lambert. And that's... That's how I'll be referring to them for the rest of this comic. <laughs> so, naming systems, love it. So, young young Lambert uh, claims that he just came home early. He found his father with a knife in his back, and he pulled out the knife, uh, which is how the prince got on it. And he like rolled mm. his father over, only to hear his father say something about a contract. As he leans over and like points towards an open uh, open safe in the wall. So Gordon asked the father, or asked if the father had any enemies or who were like involved in his business or whatever. Mm. So he lists off these uh, these couple names, the three other people that were involved in his business, Stephen Crane, Paul Rogers, and Alfred Stryker. I'll let you guess which one is the murderer. <laughs> it's secretly Jim Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> so you may notice one of, the vil- one of the names are a little bit more villainous than the others. <laughs> but at this moment, uh, a call comes to the house from Stephen Crane, one of the names that is not as suspicious as one of them. And upon hearing that Lambert is dead, he requests he requests to speak to the commissioner. Gordon learns that Lambert received an anonymous threat like yesterday, and he instructs Crane you know, to stay put, lock the doors. It says do not leave anyone until he arrives. I assume he'd want to say don't let anyone in until he arrives. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he he like you know, just stay there. We'll be there in a little bit. And like right after he hangs up, some dude breaks into Crane's library and just shoots him. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> He, like, breaks into another safe and runs off with some papers. Oh, my gosh. But I'm assuming some time has passed in between here, because, like, right after that phone call happens, because there's it doesn't show that it was, like, later on tonight. It's just, like, this mm-hmm. is just, like, next panel. But, like, right after, like, Gordon hangs up the phone, one other thing does happen is that Bruce kindly dumps all the ashes from his pipe onto the ground and says he's going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've had enough of this. Yeah. And then we get to the part where the dude breaks into the house, shoots Crane. Um, So this dude climbs up to the the roof of this residential building. This is like a mansion in the middle of like a neighborhood. And they make their escape through the roof. He climbs up the window, goes to the top of this normal residential home, and like meets up with his associate. And for whatever reason, that's their best escape plan. And they run into the Batman with a hyphen. (laughs) So Batman's up there, and Batman just, like, punches the first dude with his gross purple gloves. And he did not go with his cowl at all. Then he grabs the other one by the waist, and they love this term. Like, if anyone did watch my Robin video, you know that they'll love the term sends them flying through space or into space. No matter what. Yes. No matter how much, how far someone travels, it is into space. <laughs> so that is, that is what the exact words are anytime that, like, the action is uh, described. 
So he grabs him by the waist and, I quote, sends him flying through space. So uh, then Bats grabs the pa- papers and the police arrive and they're like, that's Batman on the roof, get him. And he just jumps out the back of the roof and they don't get him. So the police go into the house, learn of this new murder, and they decide to head to Rogers. You know, the other dude, the, I can't remember, because I know there's a Steve and I know there's a Rogers, but I don't think that, so Stephen Crane... <laughs> And Paul Rogers, and it's been so hard for me to not write Steve Rogers in all of this. <laughs> so they find out, you know, that he's dead. They go to Rogers' home while Batman, assumingly, is doing the same. So he's like in his old Batmobile, which is just a red car, and he's reading the stolen papers and smiling. Oh, for whatever reason, good read. So Rogers goes to Mister Stryker's place because he heard about the murders of their friends, and he wanted to check in on the last one alive. And the but the butler opens the door, and he's just this big brooding guy, and just knocks. Rogers out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he knocks him out and then he like drags him inside and ties him up underneath this glass dome in the most oh uncomfortable way. He ties him sitting on the floor, but like he like straps his feet and then like his knees are bent and then he's like strapped by the way straight down. Oh. It's so inconvenient. Like I can't sit like that as a, <laughs> as a person pushing 30. So I don't know how this, like, 45-year-old man was able to maintain that position without falling back, but I guess he's limber. But the butler, uh, he ties him up, and uh, Roger's like, what are you doing? The butler explains that what he's about to lower on top of him is a gas chamber. So this big glass dome is a gas chamber, which he uses to kill guinea pigs. It doesn't talk about guinea pigs as, like... He, he talks about, like, literal guinea pigs. Like, his test subjects are literal guinea pigs that he's killed. And he's like, now you're going to be the guinea pig. And he goes downstairs into the world's smallest hole in the floor to turn on the gas. And as, like, the dome is coming down, Batman jumps through an open skylight in the middle of this wherever the hell they are. And he, like, grabs a wrench and, like, dives into the dome. And instead of just breaking the glass, what he does first is he takes a handkerchief, which I assume he pulled out of his utility belt. (laughs) And he shoves, like, the handkerchief into the nozzle to keep it uh, so that the gas won't come out and then he breaks the glass <laughs> and the butler comes up and he reaches for a gun batman tackles him to the ground and just starts like hammering into his face yeah. <laughs> just beating the crap out of him <laughs> at this point striker comes out to be like what's all the ruckus and he sees uh, rogers is like freed and he asks rogers what happened and rogers is like your butler tried to kill me and he's like oh that's crazy What's really, really weird, where this is lined up, so, like, Rogers comes, like, say he comes from the left of the room, and the gas chamber is on the right. Uh-huh. So, Batman is fighting the butler, like, he knocked him out on the right side of the room by the gas chamber. And all of a sudden, Batman is now on the left side of the room, behind Rogers, as Stryker is oh. pulling out a knife to kill Rogers. <laughs> he's claiming, he's like, I'm gonna stab you, and then I'm gonna throw you in the acid tanks downstairs over that railing. Uh, that's a little much but yeah but batman is suddenly on the other side of the room in the shadows behind striker and he you know tackles striker and he just kind of holds him by like the tie and he's like explain what you've done batman explains what he figured out was all these contracts were like done in secret so that basically striker wanted to buy out apex chemical corporation but in order to do that, he was going to have to like pay people out money over time. However, if no one knew these contracts existed, and then there was like, for whatever reason, they weren't going to be able to like prove that he owed money for the company or whatever. So if they all died and the contracts went away, he would be the only owner, 
which I feel uh, like this could have been done without the contracts. They are the four owners and three of them are dead. Mm-hmm. That leaves one owner, owner. I think that we could have done without the contracts. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that I have learned in a lot of the Golden Age stories. There is an element to the story that does not need to be there. Like, the next one you'll see, it's even worse. Like, there's a part of the story that absolutely does not need to happen. (laughs) Considering these things are only, like, six to eight pages, I mean, I guess it was done to fill out time. I guess. But, I mean, yes, they're really just stretching. (laughs) It just sounds so convoluted, though. It is. It really is. So now after this has all been explained, and I quote, but suddenly Stryker, with the strength of a madman, tears himself away from the Batman and pulls a gun. (laughs) So Batman just punches him in the face and knocks him over into the acid tanks below. Oh, he just he dies in there. It's not like this was like an origin story for the Joker. This just he just got punched into the acid tanks. And Batman just leans over and he's like a fitting end for their kind. just like i'll do it again (laughs) if people say batman doesn't kill oh he does in this one he kills someone in the next issue too i don't think they were as squeamish back in the golden age well that's true i mean in the third issue which i or i think it's like the fourth issue he has a gun like batman stripe does have a gun in his body and the the only reason he didn't use it was because someone else shot him first (laughs) and this isn't the one I'm covering today. And he goes to, like, his local family doctor to get the bullet out. And his doctor asks, he's like, well, I just can't understand how you did manage to shoot yourself, Bruce. There's no gun residue on your hands. He's like, well, it's a crazy tale, and I'll tell you about it someday. <laughs> so he just claims that he shot himself so in the shoulder. I, it's these comics. <laughs> he's like, you, you, you don't have gun residue. I need to, mm-hmm. I need to do a swab on yeah, your hands. Yeah, I was like, I didn't know sure. the doctor was a detective as well. <laughs> Forensics assistant. Okay. Strangely, <laughs> this bullet doesn't match your gun. Should yeah. I even continue? Even if he had shot the gun, there mm-hmm. would be no gun residue. He wears gloves. Well, I'm gonna get back to these gloves. Oh, <laughs> these gloves change a lot. <laughs> And it bothers me. But anyway, to wrap up the rest of this comic. So the next day, Gordon is sitting down with Bruce Wayne again. He's telling him all about the adventure of Batman the night before. So he's like, I don't know who this Batman is, but apparently he solved the crime for me. But I don't know if I trust him. And then Bruce Wayne's like, well, that's fine. That's a lovely fairy tale, but I'm not very interested. And he just leaves. reading more like Damian Wayne honestly oh my gosh yeah Gordon says to himself that that Wayne is a nice young chap but he must lead lead a pretty boring life (laughs) and then it says as Bruce returns home to his room and reveals to the reader that he was Batman the whole time as he like comes out of the room as Batman and this is I also want to point out there's no nothing indicating that Bruce Wayne is a billionaire it claims that he's a socialite but we don't know that his parents are dead so this last couple of panels, it looks like he just lives at home with mom and dad and he like skulks around in his room in a bat costume. Like that's, that's what this looks like from, from my perspective as a reader. Like if I were to read this back in 1939 for the first time, I would not assume that Bruce Wayne was an adult living on his own. It's not a phase, mom and dad. It's who I am. It's not a phase. <laughs> You just don't understand me. (laughs) How long does it take for them to actually give Batman somewhat of an origin story? Because I know his Golden Age origin story was a little different, I think. I think some of the elements stayed the same. Some elements are a little bit different. Like, for instance, Martha isn't shot. She dies of a heart attack watching her husband die. 
Yeah, so there's certainly some... Because, like, there's no Alfred originally. Like, Alfred doesn't show up until long after Robin oh. shows up. And okay. he's also... Oh! He also looks very different. He's, uh, like, he's, like, a very fat man. He, like, just showed up because, like, his dad used to work for the Waynes, and, like, his father's dying wish was for him to go back and work for the Waynes again, or something mm. like that. But, yeah, Alfred doesn't show up for a long while, so there's no Alfred in any of this, like, because... Right before it goes from Detective Comics to Batman's first, like, actual mm -hmm. issue. So, Batman number one is when we finally get, like, the Joker. But Robin shows up before Batman even gets his own first comic. Wow. And, yeah, there's no Alfred for a while. He, he does show up not too long after that, but what we know as the basics of Batman is very much not what it was in the Golden Age. So, that's all I got on the first issue. That was amazing. Yeah. I love that. It's, that, was it's a, a ride. that was a ride. Yeah. But as great as that first one was, the second one is one of my favorites I've read in a long time. So this comic I call uh, Batman Commits a Lot of Crimes. <laughs> Very good title. It starts off with Bruce impersonating Commissioner Gordon on the phone and calling one of the department's underground contacts to learn about a jewel heist that's going down. So <laughs> Crime number one. Crime number one. <laughs> that night, Batman goes off to confront these thieves who are making their escape. It says that it's that night. I will say that the art does not ever depict nighttime. This looks oh. like early morning. Like, <laughs> there's a bright blue sky out. <laughs> it looks like, it was like, mm, yeah, I just got done with, with nine o'clock mass. I should probably go stop that crime. <laughs> But he, he confronts these thieves on a rooftop as they're, like, making their escape through the, the rooftop door. And uh, he jumps on one, tackles him, and another one rushes him with a knife. And murder number two, Batman just kicks that dude off the roof. <laughs> and it's not clear at the moment. You do find out next page that dude is dead. <laughs> he doesn't seem to care very much. So he not tackles one, uh, you know, knocks the other one off, and that's that. Remember what I said about the gloves? This outfit, no gloves. The outfit is oh, completely the same before, okay. but the, his hands are colored the exact same as the part of his mouth that's exposed, so he's just not wearing gloves. <laughs> Except for one panel, where he does have the very long gloves that we're used to. Oh. But the next panel that is literally the exact same shot, just from a different angle, no gloves again. I don't know where those came from. Uh, the next issue, uh, he will have just the blue gloves that go don't, don't go down all the way. And the issue after that, he has the long gloves, finally. <laughs> His gloves are, it took him a few tries to get what they wanted with the gloves. I'll tell you, when I first dove, dove into these comics, I didn't expect to learn the history of Batman's gloves. But I think I just, <laughs> I think I can narrow it down for you. Also, his ears, incredibly inconsistent. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's the thing on Batman's gloves. But anyway, so the, the dude who he, like, that Batman knocked down first, um, he pulls a gun on Batman, and Batman just knocks him out with one punch. <laughs> one punch! So now there's, now there's some jewels on the ground that are in a bag, and Batman goes to, like, pick them up, but he kind of, like, hangs on to them for a while until the, cop, <laughs> until the cops show up. Apparently this is all his plan, where the, he wants the cops to think that Batman was behind the, the heist. <laughs> And I'm going to explain in a little bit why this is the dumbest thing in the world. You're going to explain? Yeah. Because, believe me, however know. dumb you think this is, it's so much dumber. I'm ready. <laughs> so, he waits for the cops to show up, and then he, like, drops the bag, like, oops, sorry, I'm a criminal. And he, like, does a front flip off of, or maybe a back flip. Either way, it's the ugliest flip I've ever seen. He does a flip of some sort off of the building onto, like, the balcony down below. And now, all of a sudden, there is a rope on his belt that was not hanging there before. 
Mm. But now he has this rope. And this is the first time that we ever see Batman swing through the city. So he, like, lassos a flagpole and just swings away. And the cops are like, what happened? Batman's a criminal. Now we have to deal with this, I guess. And he's seen, like, these this one murdered victim and then, like, another one on the ground. The police are like, I wonder what they fought about with all their brilliant <laughs> detective work. So they're, they're basically assumed that while two people dressed up in a normal suit for this crime, Batman showed up in a bat costume. And they were like, all right, that dude's probably in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Batman literally has helped them stop crimes a few times up to this point, obviously one like yesterday. <laughs> also, one other thing I forgot to say: uh, when he does swing on that flagpole for the first time, he does swing into space. They're very adamant about knowing that he swung into space. Of course. That's so fine. now the next day, we see Batman hanging outside the window with the full gloves for the one panel, and then we're back to no gloves. He's hanging outside this window of the dude who's behind all these crimes. So Batman knows. He knows already who's behind the crimes. Remember that. Oh, no. (laughs) Because we're about to do another three pages that don't need to exist at this point. (laughs) So Batman already knows who's behind all this. The whole reason he did this was so that he would think if the cops thought that he was behind all this, it would make these guys slip off because they thought the heat was off of them. None of this is necessary. Jeez. Because like I said, Batman already knows who's behind this, right? So he's listening in and he finds out, oh, they're going to commit another crime tonight. They're going to reseal some more jewels. So that night, Batman goes and stops another robbery, like beats up three dudes in an apartment building while they already were stealing the stuff. And then Batman calls the police and he's like, hey, I gift wrapped some some criminals for you. Come on to this house and uh, you can pick them up. And they're like, all right, that was Batman on the phone. I guess we'll go do what he said, even though we think he's a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) A strange man in a bat costume. Totally trustworthy. So then Batman goes back to this guy's house or the the apartment through the one who he knows is behind all this. And Batman, without any warning, chucks this dude out a window into space. (laughs) (laughs) Hanging by a rope around his waist and threatens to cut the line if he doesn't sign a written confession. Oh my gosh! <laughs> to everything that he did. Making this whole thing about putting heat on Batman completely useless. The only plan that Batman had was to chuck this dude out and make him force a confession out of him. Well, it would kind of make sense if like halfway through he's just like, oh no, I've mm-hmm. just given them all like an excuse to take the heat off of them. Like mm-hmm. You can't prove any of these people were stealing it. It was just me. And I just looked like I beat up innocent guys. Mm-hmm. I have no choice. I have to torture this man to take all of the heat <laughs> off of me. <laughs> yeah, but all, all he, his whole plan, like, he gets there, and it's not like, I want you to sign a confession. He throws him out the window, and he's like, now I want the confession. <laughs> he's like, throw he, you the paper. Make sure you grab it. You sign the confession, or you die. Sanism. Those are your choices. So he forces a confession out of this guy, and all this other shit he did was completely useless just kind of sounds like he's having fun on taxpayer dime he might be so batman just pulls the dude back up he's like all right i'll sign it i'll sign it so he does and then he rushes batman uh with a gun uh, or a knife i don't remember anyway he rushes batman doesn't work out batman knocks him out and then he just gets back in the batmobile batmobile quote unquote (laughs) and then he just drops this dude off at the police station with a note on him like an od patient Just, like, kicks him out on the sidewalk and leaves him there. And he's like, yep, this dude's doing all the all the crimes that I made you guys think I was doing. And Gordon's like, that makes sense. All right. <laughs> that was the end of issue two. Oh, oh my gosh. Was, uh... Honestly, yeah. that's like a pet peeve of mine with Spider-Man, too. Like, just because you tied someone up and said they did it, 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're going to spend the night in jail. <laughs> like, if you sign a confession under duress, it doesn't count. Nope. I mean, th- wasn't that, like, the thing behind the um, uh, Superman Returns movie, like, why Lex Luthor got out? It was because he yeah. was like, all right, well, did Superman not show up as a witness? Okay, then no one can say I did anything wrong. <laughs> no one here witnessed me commit a crime. <laughs> That's kind of big, too, considering how many people usually witness Luthor's crimes. <laughs> <laughs> that depends on the universe, on how far he is into his criminal career. <laughs> but they did the same thing with the Joker, too, I think, during Tom Keene's run. There was like a, you know, nobody can stop me because nobody will come forward at like in like court. Mm. Mm. Was that the Joker? Is that someone else? I mean, that could be the Joker, too. I think that also happened in the 90s with the Joker when um, he became the leader of Karak. Yep. Therefore, right. he had diplomatic immunity. Right after he or killed in, Robin. Right. He also did, like, in Tinian's run, right? Like, with, um... Well, remember when, like, Bruce had to go in and uh, Alfred goes and, like, testifies for him or something? He just, like, scolds everyone until they let him go? Oh! That was Long Halloween. Oh, it was! Yeah. Mm. And I know, like, Doctor Doom loves to pull that all the time. He's like, mm, no one can get me in court because I got diplomatic immunity. <laughs> I'm going back to Latveria, and he just yeah, but this is his favorite away. move. I got away with crime because I own a country. All right. <laughs> what did you do with your Wednesday? It's one of these things that, like, I feel like that wouldn't work. I'm still trying to wrap my head around Jim Gordon just being like, "Hey, Bruce, you seem bored. You want to go check out a dead body? A, a crime scene? Want to see a dead body?" <laughs> And then I guess Jim Gordon is just doing this with everybody in Gotham for, like, the doctor to be like, oh, there's no gun residue on your hands. <laughs> yeah, right. He's teaching I guess everyone's every... seen a crime scene or two. <laughs> He's teaching them all about the justice system. <laughs> I just want my citizens to understand how the law works, okay? <laughs> if anything, no wonder the criminals are so good at getting away with their crimes. <laughs> Yeah, Gordon's, Gordon's taught them all forensic science. <laughs> <laughs> Between that and then I just Bruce's like signature goodbye of like I'm just gonna dump my entire pipe on the ground. It's like, all right, I'm done with this whole area now. Goodbye. Yeah, Gordon gets so off the abrupt. phone being like, Oh, someone's afraid for their life and he's like, Well that's great. Knocks over his pipe and I'm gonna go home. I'm bored of shit. <laughs> <laughs> And what, the other thing I like about that first comic is that, like, we're not supposed to figure out that, like, it's supposed to be a mystery of, like, who is yeah. Batman, is if there's any other choice as to who it's about to be. <laughs> like, I don't think it's Gordon running around in that. And, like, <laughs> Bruce Wayne is the only other character that we've met. <laughs> I say, it's not like they're just going to cut to, like, a random, like, street cleaner or whatever. Yeah. They might, though. I mean, like, those kinds of comics, sometimes they just pull something weird like that, and you're just like, I guess, mm-hmm. all right. Like, was I supposed to think that Batman's the killer? <laughs> so, Josh, what would you rate both of these stories? 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best things I've ever read. It's, but it's hard to, like, rate something so old. That's the thing. It, it is impossible to rate something like that. Because it's just, they're not a product of our time. Mm-hmm. For what they were, I mean, Batman obviously is popular, so obviously they worked. For a reader back in the day, like, this is what they were looking for at, yeah. during a story. And plus, it's not like this was the only thing in these books. Like, I, you know, we're just reading the Batman portion, but Detective Comics was always multiple stories in one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, these, both, both these comics were six pages long. That's it. 
they had to figure out how to tell a story in a very limited amount of time with a character they just thought of. This is all they have. Uh, also, I just looked it up to double check. Alfred Pennyworth did not show up until Batman number 16 in 1943. Oh my gosh. Good that's just crazy after. to think about. Like mm-hmm. somebody that's like such a major character in a lot of the origins. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. do know that sometimes Alfred already exists as the butler that has been a part of the Wayne family and then other mm-hmm. times Alfred doesn't show up until after his parents death like Josh said because uh, also in the golden age I know that after his parents died it was one of Bruce's uncles that took care of him oh <laughs> I love Bruce's family like yeah he had an aunt too at some point <laughs> in the in the tv series he had an aunt think. yeah I think yes so. the 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 quirk no I think she was just a housekeeper or was she Maybe. an aunt in Adam West? I think yes. so. He had an aunt at some point, and no, it might have been the comics I'm thinking of. There was a lady that was Philip in Wayne. the Adam West story. Just doing the work. <laughs> yeah, I found Aunt Harriet, who was in the TV show and <gasps> was in the it. books. But then there was Aunt Agatha, who was the better aunt, because <laughs> she was <laughs> she was a pill. <laughs> she was... <laughs> She was an absolute straight edge, and if I recall correctly, they were always trying to, like, hide their identity from her. Mm. Yes. But in a really bad way. It did. Even when I was trying to read up on some old stuff, I would browse through these covers, and they had, like, the wackiest family members on. You remember that that Superman one I showed you where it was, like, (laughs) he said, like, it's not a crime to put pennies in my ears. And he's like, oh, if you yeah. don't stop, I'll kill you. <laughs> like, there's always, like, these crazy things happening on the cover. You're like, I, I'll, all right. I, I'll read that later. But a lot of the, the Aunt Agatha stuff was on my to-do list. So maybe one day we'll talk about her in more detail. This reminds me so much of, like, Bruce just acting like Dick's age, you know? It's like, oh, <laughs> this is my little identity. I'm going to go fight crime behind my parents' back. <laughs> I kind of like that, though, because, like, steeped in tragedy is, like, an entirely different tone than I'm such a scamp. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to run around in a bat suit. No reason. I weirdly like those horrible, like, age dynamic situations, like the Marty McFly and Doc Brown thing, mm. where it's, like, it's never explained why an old man is hanging out with a kid. I know, I know. We're not supposed to, like, pair those two up anymore. But it's funny because I keep seeing it in, like, some of the, like, funnest media has, mm. like, Captain America is just hanging out with kids, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, or Mr. Yeah. Miyagi in Karate Kid. And then they're, like, friends. It's more like a mentorship. But, like, I like when they're just like, I'm going to treat Talent you like an adult. <laughs> Would you like some chewing tobacco, old Timmy? <laughs> It's my favorite. <laughs> you want some whiskey? <laughs> It'll help the algebra go down, trust me. <laughs> I don't know. I've never really read a lot of the Golden Age stuff. Like, I've seen, like, a couple panels here and there. Same. But I've never read a whole one through. Aside from that Wonder Woman comic that we read the during Easter time one. last year. Yes. I mentioned that to Josh. Was she his secretary in that one? She was a secretary. And he really just talks down to her throughout. <laughs> I, 
It was fantastic. Oh, Tiana Prince, will you please pretend to be Wonder Woman for mm-hmm. me? Because <laughs> I'm really in love with her and I want to practice on someone unimportant. <laughs> oh, my God. He takes her to a beach. Everything's like, okay, now remember, Diana, you're Wonder Woman. Oh, Wonder Woman, isn't this beach beautiful? Sometimes you just have to throw the whole man into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> These are just some priceless gems, though. Because yes. they... Do not make them like this anymore. Like, could no, you imagine they if they made Batman like this now? So, like, the only reason that no. they stopped Batman from killing people is because of the negative reception it had on kids after Robin showed up. Because mm. if oh. anyone who hasn't seen my episode on Robin's first appearance, Robin <laughs> kills a man in that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was because, like, I was sending this message, like, murder is okay. <laughs> And parents were like, we should probably not convey that message to our children. We don't want them reading Batman. They're like, all right, we'll stop the murders. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the only reason that they invented this code of, like, Batman will never kill and never carry a gun. All this stuff Mm -hmm. is because of the negative portrayal against kids because they made this so much targeted towards kids. Because Robin shows up in uh, Detective Comics 38. So, you know, like 10 issues after this. Oh, man. Wow. So Robin shows up real quick. And then Alfred three years after that. So they basically said, stop hanging out with older people. Start hanging out with people who are younger than you. Yeah. And then they got into an opposite thing, because that's when we got, you know, the original Batwoman Batgirl. I was like, all right, well, don't always hang out with, you know, just <laughs> other men in general. Because <laughs> that sends a message that isn't okay back in the day. I mean, it didn't help that they kept drawing them in the same bed, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beds are expensive. You need to spend money on He's batteries. He's a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> That's established at this point. He's a socialite. Socialites never sleep alone. I'm stopping now. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the name. He has to be social. <laughs> God damn it, I am not going to bed alone. <laughs> <laughs> He's not an isolate. That's that amazing. One, that one actually got a face palm from Joe. I, just... I don't think I've ever gotten one of them before. <laughs> I don't want to picture that. <laughs> okay. That was amazing, Josh. Thank you so yeah, much for those that, gems. So, yeah, that's a, that's a little taste of what uh, I do on my own channel. But typically still comics, because the only other thing I've done like this uh, this far back, or at least further farther back than what I typically cover, is um, Silver Age I've done a couple of. Because mm-hmm. I did the... Well, actually, I did do one Golden Age comic, because I did cover uh, Origin Story for Jay Garrick. Or oh, at least his right. first comic. I did that forever ago. That was a few microphones ago <laughs> so sorry if you go listen to that that's terrible i wouldn't do that <laughs> that's a bad microphone that's okay i think we feel that way about our couple of our earlier episodes too oh, sure. i did really like the one i did on uh, uh did on silver age flash on barry allen with uh gorilla grod's first appearance mm, that I comic was that hilarious there's a lot of bs science in that and i love it <laughs> <laughs> like, there, like one point, Barry just runs to Gorilla City, not ever knowing it existed before, but knows exactly where it is, and just runs straight there across <laughs> the ocean, one straight shot, finds it on one try. I'm like, all right, so much for the hidden silly of the gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love these other comics. They're always a good laugh because they are just so much out of place in, in today's mm-hmm. world. But there's something to be enjoyed in the simplicity of them, certainly. Would you want something like uh, DC to do kind of like Marvel did with Captain America where they reprinted like that first issue of Captain America, but mm-hmm. they got modern artists to do it? Oh, I would love to see that. That would be really cool. 
I would love to have them force artists to draw egg for young. <laughs> Please try not to get canceled. Here you go. <laughs> like OG egg for young, not like whatever the heck is going on with oh, him. Oh, they'd right have now. to. They try to like figure out what to do with him so it's not racist. Mm-hmm. Maybe like my name is EFW. <laughs> <laughs> or, sorry, EFY. <laughs> I forgot how to spell. <laughs> <laughs> I would really love that. Batman, Superman. If I could see them like try to draw Lex Luthor's first appearance, because he wasn't always bald. No. At first, he was a mad scientist guy who owned a floating city, and he dressed up like a friar. He was in like a purple cloak thing, and he had like shaggy red hair. Oh my Mm. god! It's fantastic. It's crazy looking back at, like, the evolution of older characters in general and seeing how different they were, especially early on. And then once they hit, like, that precedence, usually I would say it's, like, silver or modern age for comics. So we're like, okay, this is how the character Mm -hmm. kind of looks like. This is how their personality and their backstory is established. How do you go from Friar Lex to megalomaniac bald-headed Lex that runs LexCorp? Or again, like Batman and his apparent variety of gloves that he can just choose for any occasion from his yeah. bat belt. <laughs> so if I if I recall correctly, so the, these first few are all drawn by Bob Kane, I think. And then I think like eight issues in, it starts going to Bill Finger to draw them instead because he was much better at drawing Batman more threateningly. Mm. And you can see a lot more like consistency in his physique and his costume at that point. Because when you look at these first few issues, just like, man, someone has learned draw today. (laughs) (laughs) And then once you get a few issues in, it's like, oh, that's Batman. All right. Like there's there starts to be like some like actual like muscle tone to Mm -hmm. him. And, you know, like, okay, that's a threatening figure. That looks like someone who could fight crime as opposed to someone who put on a Halloween costume and jumped out his parents' window. Right. <laughs> Those are, that's the difference. It starts to be a lot more consistent. There's this YouTube channel I watch um, called uh, Salazar Knight, and he does, like, the entire history of Batman. Oh. Like, from, like, the golden age to current day. He, like, goes over, like, every year of Batman. And uh, it's, it's partly what got me, like, so interested in, like, looking at these golden age stories mm-hmm. a lot more. He does a really good job at telling like the whole history, and it's it's really worth a look. Check out. I'll send you guys a link to it. He does nice. a really good job. That sounds awesome. Well, in terms of the golden age, then we can get to talk about some of the current comics coming out. V, would you please read any of the DC comics coming out next week? Sure. All right, coming out March 31st, we have the Black Label Batman Catwoman number four. Digitally, we have the Challenge of the Super Sons number 10. The Flash, 678. Future States, Superman vs. Imperious Lex, number three. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> and uh, the digital version of the next Batman, Second Son, four. <laughs> We're also going to get um, two black labels. The Other History of the DC Universe, number three. And uh, Strange Adventures, number nine. And digitally, we get the sensational Wonder Woman number 13. Why can't Future State just end already? I it, thought it, it was This over. is the end. They just had one straggler, and it was Superman versus Imperious Lex. Mm-hmm. But they are going to continue with the next Batman. Yeah. yeah. Sheesh. They grabbed the one that they thought would take off and, and said, we're going to push this one a little mm-hmm. farther. Even though they said they weren't going to. 
Right, and then again, come May, we have the future state Gotham, which is going to focus primarily on Jason Todd. His story, admittedly, was the one I was the most interested in. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, I was I was liking what he was doing the most. Unless it's going to be similar to like how Batman Beyond-ish, then I don't really mm. mind. I feel like they're pushing really hard to like pair him up with Rose. They're yeah. pushing very hard for that. It feels weird. Especially because she hasn't shown up at all in comics for the majority of Rebirth. It wasn't until Tom Taylor introduced her, well, reintroduced her during his deceased uh, Unkillables. As far as I know, yeah. Was she in New 52 at all? Cause... Not that I was aware of. Aside from the Flashpoint story. Was she in, uh, she wasn't part of uh, Deathstroke's Team Titans. No. 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 Right? Well, no, she was in New 52. You know what she was? She worked alongside the company that replaced Cadmus to create Superboy. Oh, She that weird. played his kind of like, I'm slowly introducing you to the world. She was okay. like his buddy, apparently, in this nowhere lab. That's weird place to put her, but okay. Mm-hmm. But they completely rewrote her uh, during New 52 for that. I remember reading like the first couple of issues. I was just so confused because I'm like, you know, I know who Rose Wilson is supposed to be. <laughs> but regardless. So, yeah, again, we spoke about this off camera. DC really has just been slacking with their comics out weekly. Yeah, I don't know if it's because of the future state restart or mm-hmm. just they don't have much besides Black Label and besides the stuff digitally coming mm-hmm. out have too many other like mini series going on and i think that's why like marvel seems to be quote-unquote outdoing them <laughs> because marvel's mm-hmm. like here's a mini series mini series over here's a new one marvel's doing a ton of mini series especially spider-man mini series yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but they have the money uh warner brothers has been like laying off all those editors yeah and... i mean right they got the marvel's got that disney money so they're doing fine <laughs> <laughs> yep and not to mention dc has a lot of their titles have a bunch of those backup stories now too true so i think we were trying to look it up the other time where it was like that was more cost effective for dc because they had to pay less oh yeah there was some former artists who were talking about okay so you know how like they've been padding stories with like little extras at the end yeah so, one person was complaining, a former DC artist who was saying, like, oh, that's less money to go around to the artists and writers. But I was like, mm-hmm. are they paid per book sold? Or are they paid, like, you know, just a, a flat fee per page? Because that's what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's, like, a way to save on, like, ink or if it's just to make sure that the books get sold. Because they're like, we're not sure if these miniseries will sell, so we're going to pad them with more popular series to make sure that they actually make it into people's hands and then we'll just charge a little more i assume that's what the thought process was but i really have no well, idea batman books did go up to six bucks didn't they did anything I else think so no you know what i think superman probably also went up in price too because they're another one that has a backup story at the end of it i have no idea what any of my comics cost they i know i never checked the price they just roll over <laughs> i'm just like just put it in the bag <laughs> mine's all digital it's just like a comic here like oh don't, don't tell DC. They're just gonna keep. They're gonna keep up in the price. <laughs> Pretty soon, all the comics are just gonna be the cost of the black label, where it's like nine, ten dollars. They could they could charge me forty bucks, and it would take me months to notice. <laughs> all right, Mister Moneybags Wayne. 
I mean, that's why I would notice. I'd start to run out of money and be like, oh, wait a second. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Something's it's wrong here. Gone. I would be confused very quickly by being like, I've only got like two comics. Why is it this much? I know for me, like I go to the comic shop, like, yeah, like I have a pull box, but I'll still browse the album. Like, oh, I forgot to pick this one up. I forgot to pick this one up. And it comes out to like $32. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. It is what it is. I'll read them. <laughs> Unless I'm like, ooh, I'm going to get a trade. And you're like, oh, that's a 50. Uh, yeah, oh, very yeah. expensive. Well, Muse, do you mind reading out those Marvel titles? Because I do know there's a bunch of number ones out this week for Marvel. Are, and some of these I had no idea were getting number ones. Which shows how much I keep up with Marvel news. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I did know this one. We have Avengers Curse of the Man-Thing, number one. Right. By Steve Orlando, and the artist is Francisco Mobili. Critically acclaimed writer Steve Orlando makes his Marvel debut with a blockbuster celebration of Man-Thing's 50th anniversary. For decades, the Man-Thing has haunted the Florida Everglades. Now a new enemy has hijacked his body on a quest to take his incendiary abilities global. We wake to fear as gargantuan monoliths and cities worldwide with only the Avengers standing between the population of Earth and a plant-wide inferno. They save Man-Thing in time to douse the fires and does the man inside the Thing, Ted Sales, even want to be saved. Introducing a sensational new villain designed by Marvel Stormbreaker, Carmen Carnero, the harrower. I knew absolutely nothing about Man-Thing. I knew this story was coming out. I knew that Man-Thing is a copy of Swamp Thing. I had no idea Steve Orlando was writing it. Man-Thing is kind of Marvel's version of Swamp Thing on the surface level. There are clearly mm -hmm. some differences, like man that has been taken over plant by plants and he lives in the Florida Everglades. But now it's an enemy that hijacked his body. I would definitely pick this up just because I'm so curious about it. And I feel like Steve Orlando does a little bit better job of more of like these obscure heroes. Yeah. Like I in thoroughly enjoyed his Martian Manhunter. I thought his Gotham City Monsters was okay. So something interesting, Man-Thing actually had their first appearance two months before Swamp Thing. Oh, damn. Really? Swamp Thing is July of 1971, and Man-Thing is May of 1971. I couldn't remember who came first. That's pretty close, so I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's a... Oh, Marvel copying DC or DC yeah. copying Marvel. Yeah, that, that might be definitely... uh, an X-Men Doom Patrol kind of situation mm-hmm. where it's like they're out a little too close to have copied each other that quickly. Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple characters. I think Dark, uh, not Dark Side. There's at least three or four characters that they came out in the same year, just like months apart from each other. Mm-hmm. We also have Beta Ray Bill number one. The writer is uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. The artist is Mike Spencer. Mm. So... Apparently, this is coming off the heels of the King in Black event. The second most famous wielder of Mjolnir, the right-hand man to the God of Thunder, and now a warrior without his best weapon. Beta Ray Bill is tired of playing second fiddle to Thor, and with Bill's famous hammer, Stormbreaker, recently destroyed at the new All-Father's hands, tensions are higher than ever. The Corbinite must strike out in search of a new weapon and a new destiny. Assuming he can first defeat a nullified Fing Fang Foom. Why is this dumb guy <laughs> showing up again? A lot of Fing Fang Foom these days. <laughs> I'm even just like saying it. God. Fing Fang Foom. <laughs> Writer, artist Daniel Warren Johnson and colorist Mike Spencer take Beta Ray Bill on a journey beyond the shadow of a god. 
Plus, this oversized first issue contains an exclusive conversation between Johnson and Beta Ray Bill's creator, the legendary Walter Simmons. So oh, that's very cool. Definitely, once again, kind of like another big, like, hey, we're going to play homage to this character. I'm not probably going to pick this up, but I'm really happy we're getting more Beta Ray Bill. I know there's a lot of fans of him. He's been showing up, like, a couple issues here and there during um, Donny Cates' Thor run, and I've been wanting to see more of him because I never read anything with him. I've seen him in, like, the animated movies and, yep. like, the little uh, reference to him during Ragnarok, but that was about it. Yeah. My only exposure to him was in the animated, some of the animated series, I think. Mm. He might have shown up in... Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Earth's, yeah, was it Earth's Mightiest Heroes. He's cool. I, I really enjoy mm. his character a lot. And I do feel bad that if Thor has the hammer, Beta Ray Bill's just kind of, like, shit out of luck. It's mm-hmm. like, oh... Mm-hmm. But Fin Fang Foom? It's because we already have Null's like dragon-like creatures. So it's like, oh hey, let's just possess an actual dragon. Maybe, but usually when Fin Fang Foom shows up, it's going to be a bit of a comedy, and <laughs> I don't know if that means that the rest of Beta Ray Bill's run is just going to be like light-hearted series, which mm-hmm. I can kind of see that, but. I don't know enough about Vaderville to say if that fits with his character or not. It'll be interesting. I'll, I'll pick it up. Um, we, of course, have uh, Black Cat number four. Yes. One of these favorites. Yes. Um, <laughs> Captain America number 28. King in Black, Ghost Rider number one. King in Black, Ride of the Valkyries number four. And Symbiote Spider-Man, King in Black number five. We've got a lot. Oh, and Union number four, which still might be a King in Black tie-in. But we also have Silk, number one. So another number one for Marvel. The writer is Marine Wu. Uh, artist is uh, Takeshi uh, Miyazawa. So by day, Cindy Moon is an intrepid reporter for the upstart new media empire, Threats and Menaces, under her old boss, J. Jonah Jameson. By night, she's Silk, crime-fighting superhero. But those worlds are about to collide as an investigation into a series of gangland murders puts Silk and everyone she loves in danger. Who is this powerful new player in New York's underworld? Where did she come from? And what is she doing with that strange cat demon? It will take all of Cindy's prowess as reporter and hero to find the answers and stay alive. Huh. I didn't know this was actually coming out. I'm a bit surprised. I Me either. need to add this, I guess. <laughs> I do like Silk a lot. She's the one that apparently got bit by the same spider as Peter, right? Right. Yes. I never read anything with her. Only thing I've really like consistently read was Agents of Atlas, and mm-hmm. I liked how you can see that she does have a lot of leadership qualities mm-hmm. uh, about her. But she can be fun. I see her anytime she see- shows up in you know Spider Man, but that's about it. I never mm-hmm. read her, her her own run. She gives me kind of like Cassandra Cain vibes a little bit. Yes, I think she's kind of like the cast of the Spider Family, where she is a part of it, but at the same time feels a bit like an outsider compared mm-hmm. to the rest. I think that might also just be with how they write her. They also made a thing where, like, Peter and her have to kind of, like, keep their distance because of them being bit by the same spider. Like, they emit, like, pheromones that makes them insanely attracted to each other. (laughs) Oh, jeez. I did not know that. They have to, like, stay apart. Otherwise, they, Uh... you know. (laughs) Cindy's younger than him. By a bit, I thought. No, they they were in the same class. One of her previous artists drew her very young. She acts young because she was kept like in a bunker for like ten years, thinking the world ended. Oh my so, gosh. So like, she, 
her world is like the 90s when she comes out so like she's still referencing like the original 151 pokemon because she was like watching <laughs> the indigo plateau on like reruns oh my God. <laughs> in a bunker underground until peter found her because he meets her like right after he gets his body back from doc ock Oh. oh wow! Oh wow! It's just a lot of information. That's great. I I am religiously into Spider Man. <laughs> that doesn't mean I have time to read everything else in the Spider Verse, but I read Spider Man pretty consistently. <laughs> Is he like your favorite character of all time, like both DC and Marvel? Or oh yeah, yeah. I read more DC definitely, but mm-hmm. Spider Man still on top. Nice. We also have U.S. Agent Number Four. X-Men number 19, and X-Men Legends number 2. I still didn't read that first one. I didn't pick it up because it was the summers, and they're not my favorite. I know, you I like love Havoc. Kitty Pride. I like Kitty. I like a decent chunk of the X-Men, but the summers family is definitely not one of them, and that is including Jean Grey. Like, we're, we're just throwing her in there, too. <laughs> not a sense. They're okay, except Scott. He can... <laughs> <laughs> No, I get it. They're kind of I bland. like Scott. Oh. <laughs> I used well, to like Scott. I don't like adult Scott the past few years. No, <laughs> I liked like original Scott. Wait a minute. I have never liked Scott, but that's just because I can't name one personal like characteristic of his. Like a I would love to be like corrected. What what are some like things you like about Scott Summers? I mean, I've always liked Scott, like since the cartoon, since the mm-hmm. comics. First of all, as a kid, I just thought he was cool. As I grew up, I really liked that his powers seemed pretty bland compared to a lot of the rest of his teammates. But he has such a, a strategic mind and understanding of his teammates of how to put their abilities to the best use. And that's something I always thought was really, really cool about him. Mm-hmm. His power isn't anything other than special other than, like, I have uh, eyes with portals to the punch dimension in them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> And I can't open my eyes without my visor on. But, you know, having all these incredibly powerful people like Rogue and Jean Grey mm-hmm. and Wolverine and how he's able to coordinate them so perfectly as as a leader. It's his leadership mm-hmm. ability that's always impressed me. And also, one of the things that probably made me like him the most is X-Men Evolution. I think oh, they do yeah. an incredible job with him in that. His fight with Juggernaut in that oh, yep. gives me chills <laughs> yep. every time I think about it. Just rips off his visor and, like, blows away a dam just to stop Juggernaut for a second. (laughs) My first entry into him was the movies. Mm -hmm. And I didn't dislike him. Mm. um, But I also felt really bad for him, especially in the X3. Ouch. Um, X3? What do you mean when the director wanted him to be in Superman Returns more than (laughs) X-Men? Um, and then evolution really like you you get to see more of him but you also do see like that underlying like his biggest issue is his anger i feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of his issues is anger he can get very angry and very no my way is this way and you're like scott calm down let let it go just a bit but when you learn about his story you understand kind of better like why he does that but aside from just like the jealousy thing of like oh logan's trying to steal gene from me again i got so tired of that in the original cartoon i'm like gene make up your mind so we can stop this i never want to see this again well she did during hickman's run she chose both Mm -hmm. yeah she did (laughs) they're having their little polyamorous relationship on the moon their little consistent moon moon threesome mm-hmm. <laughs> with their kids in the same moon base it's like <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with rogue <laughs> it's gonna get to the point where they're gonna ask for something and gene's gonna say i don't know ask your father and go which one the new one or the old one <laughs> 
Oh, I'm gonna go with my friends. Go ask your father. Hmm, which father will say yes? <laughs> <laughs> go to Wolverine. He'll probably say yes to get me off his back. Wolverine won't care. Wolverine's the fun guy. I I would ask him for help on any project. He's the fun dad. There's actually some stuff from Marvel I actually need to pick up. I still recommend that Symbiote Spider-Man one. The last issue, they introduced more of your favorite Monica Rambeau. Really? Yeah. Mm. Nice. And also Kang the Conqueror and Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> that does sound uh, amazing. It's quite a roster. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> odd bunch, and I'm still trying to figure out how they all fit together. But because this uh, particular run, it got pushed back heavily for months because of the whole COVID situation. Oh. So I'm like, I have to reread the first three in order to kind of understand. Especially because the whole Symbiote Spider-Man title is technically an alternate reality, but it's mm-hmm. a part of this event i don't know how or why and that's the part that really confuses me about it but peter david's characterization is writings up there yeah absolutely like it's definitely reads like peter parker nice so it's really good i definitely recommend it but also before we close things out josh did you already give your plugins uh yeah a bit but i can i can run through it real quick so yeah if you want to find more of me and more of uh you know the style of me breaking down comics in the way that i did today uh, you can check me out on YouTube at Nerd Chat Comics and Culture. I try to do a video like this, you know, at least a few times a month, time allowing. And then also I'm on Twitch at uh, Jedi Josh underscore NC, and I stream multiple times a week, at least every Monday and Wednesday, and then either a Friday or Saturday, if not both. And then I do highlights of all that, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jedi Josh NC as well if you want to keep up with what I'm doing. And, um, yeah, I think that's all I really have. Nice. Could you just describe a little bit of your latest um, Spider-Man Wolverine video? Yeah, so that's a, that's a time travel adventure with Spider-Man Wolverine. Uh, it's an astonishing Spider-Man Wolverine. I can't remember the writer and artist off the top of my head. Basically, they tried to stop this uh, robbery at a bank, and some time travel diamonds hit the floor, and they get sent back to prehistoric era. <laughs> And they get bumped around time a whole bunch. So it starts with them in the past, and then they get bumped to, like, the far future, and they have to fight a Doctor Doom who became a planet. <laughs> and it gets it gets crazy. The Phoenix Force is a gun now. And, oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> it's so good. So I got another four of those videos coming out. Oh, I can't wait. And then also one other thing I was thinking about doing, if any of you are interested, if not all of you are interested, I wouldn't mind doing a video with you guys each about doing a, another Golden Age comic. If any of you want to do that, come over to my channel. I'll break down another Golden Age comic for you guys. Oh, you know I'm down for that. <laughs> yeah, so. great. <laughs> any of you that want to do that, I'd be happy to go through a few more Golden Age stories. Very awesome. I, I mean, after listening to these two, and again, like your Robin mm-hmm. video, that had me in tears. Yeah, that Robin video is so good. Dick Grayson's but, whole origin in one page. That's yeah. it. That's Just all like he that. needed. There you go. Robin. <laughs> Robin by the end of one page. That's all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, guys, so thank you again for listening to this episode of the Court of Alice podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Court of Alice. And please let us know which comic you would like us to cover next week. And make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. Take care, guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for having me again.